Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and I am introducing a podcast this week on Germany after the terror attacks. Berlin has been the rock on which Europe's response to the refugee crisis has been built over the last few years. And so far, Angela Merkel has managed to bring her country along with her behind a reasonably liberal approach to the refugee crisis. But over the last few days, we have seen what the German tabloids are referring to as a horror Wochenende, a weekend of horror, with uh, le- no less than four attacks which have taken place over the last few days, mainly in Bavaria, which is a part of Germany which has also found itself on the front line of the refugee crisis as many of the refugees are arriving by train in Munich there. I'm joined by three great experts to help us make sense of what has happened, how it will change public perceptions of refugees, what the political consequences will be within Germany, and what that might mean for Europe's response to the refugee crisis. First up is Josef Janning, who is the head of ECFR's office in Berlin and a senior policy fellow at ECFR. Secondly, we have Ulrike Franke, who is... Uh, a researcher at ECFR, the researcher, in fact, of the podcast series, but also an expert on security issues and has worked a lot on the the war on terror, and particularly on on drones. And finally, we have Falka Stanzel, who is an ECFR council member and has been one of the most senior diplomats in German foreign policy for a number of years before he retired, um, took on posts that included being political director as well as German ambassador to China and Japan, uh, but has also served in in the United States and uh, in many other countries. So, Ulrike, why don't you start by telling us what's happened? Well, it wasn't exactly only a weekend, as you mentioned. Um, There are four attacks we're talking about, um, although not all of these four attacks are necessarily terrorists, and that's something that's kind of important. So the first um, attack, as you mentioned, was last Monday when you had this refugee, very young refugee, um, allegedly from Afghanistan, now it may actually turn out to be a Pakistani citizen, who attacked a family of tourists, it turns out, in a Bavarian train with an axe, um, which in itself is kind of shocking, as you can imagine, you know, axe attacks that aren't exactly common in in small towns in uh, southern Germany. Um, The tourists he attacked were all from Hong Kong, um, and uh, luckily he didn't kill any of them. Um, He himself was shot by the police, and actually I think by a special commando that was in the area by by luck, really, Um, and he was killed after this attack. So this this kind of um, kicked off um, this this bad week in in German... um, politics. Um, Already after this attack, of course, there were lots of talks about what does this mean uh, for the refugees, especially since this particular refugee was a minor who had been welcomed uh, first in a kind of institutions for minor refugees and then even in a family. He had been in a family, in a host family for two weeks. Uh, He apparently had an offer to start training to become, um, I don't remember what it was, but he had, you know, a job offer lined up. So he he should have been the perfect example of 
someone to be integrated into German society. And then it turned out that he apparently radicalized himself um, in a very quick time span and, and wanted to kill people and then be killed himself. So that was already pretty um, disturbing. And then over the weekend, as you mentioned, we had three attacks. I think two of them were in Bavaria. One was in Baden-Württemberg, which is also in, uh, in, in southern Germany. Um, but the, these were all very different. So on uh, Friday, we had an attack in Munich where an 18-year-old German-Iranian Ira uh, citizen run amok. And uh, he killed nine people, and that was the biggest attack uh, in, in, this, in this series. Um, but it doesn't look as, as, as if he had any political motivation or religious motivations. Um, and then we had the other two attacks. One 20-year-old um, Syrian refugee um, basically killed his, his girlfriend in, in Reutling in Baden-Württemberg, and this, this doesn't look like a terrorist attack either. And on Sunday evening, we had a bomb attack in Bavaria, again by a Syrian refugee, um, and luckily only he himself died, but 15 people were injured. So this is kind of the situation, and as you can see from what I explained, there are, there are kind of huge differences between these attacks. It's, some of them seem to have a terrorist background, some don't, but of course um, all attackers had some kind of foreign roots. Some of them were refugees, the attacker in Bavaria grew up in, in Germany but had Iranian parents. So, of course, this has really fueled the debate in Germany about, well, the refugee policy, um, policies of, in, of, of integration, can we integrate people, um, what has gone wrong. And it also has fueled the debate on um, um, mentally ill people and how to stop them from just running amok, um, even without political uh, background. So that's just kind of to, to, to give the... The overview of what has happened and what the big, big issues here are. So, Josef, um, what do you think the political implications of, of this are going to be? Well, in all such uh, cases, the immediate response uh, is a focus on internal security. Uh, are the authorities uh, up to the challenge? Is the police uh, on the alert? Uh, is the communication between various services good enough? Uh, are the laws good enough? You know, this is the usual response. You see some of that uh, also now, but um, it is comparatively uh, moderate um, in light of the public irritation that these incidences have created, because all of them, uh, in a way, are unpredictable with um, high, uh, um, highly sophisticated uh, security uh, and intelligence services, because it's the lone wolf. Uh, it is people acting out of a personal situation, uh, a out of a mental condition, or out of a, a specific situation, uh, and that is very hard to predict. So that, I think, gives uh, a special color. It, it, a lot of people are very alarmed. Uh, but uh, other than the right-wing populists who try desperately to use any such incidents to fuel their own fires, um, I see fairly little uh, alarmism and fairly little uh, of an um, agitated debate that now many things have to change. Now, a good incident or a good case in point for this is um, the differences in the way that the uh, uh, situation in Munich uh, over the weekend when that shooting occurred uh, were perceived uh, out of the, out of the um, um, nationalists or AFD circles. You have seen immediate responses to point to uh, uh, the insecurity that, that uh, this government allows. 
uh, and then uh, pointing to the fact uh, after it, it became evident that there was a lot of security in, in the place and there was a very swift response to the challenge, um, switching uh, towards uh, arguing now if, if uh, such a single lone wolf uh, actor could create such a mess and bring Munich to a stop, uh, what would a real um, uh, um, attack do uh, to the situation? But I think if you if you look for the mainstream media and the mainstream public opinion, um, the the people are more calm than this would suggest. You know, it doesn't really um, scare the people because the people at the same time that that they are worried about such incidences see that uh, uh, actually uh, police and internal security services are pretty much up to the challenge. They respond quite quickly um, and quite adequately. And uh, maybe uh, uh, it is part of the, of the strange situation that all of that or most of that happens in Bavaria. Bavaria is actually a very well-organized uh, state uh, in the uh, German Federation, with a, a rather capable uh, police force and a good cooperation record, uh, as we could see over this weekend. So what we see is a state uh, and a, a body politic that is quite well prepared to respond to these cases. Obviously, uh, I see things exactly as Josef does, right, Josef? Um, but uh, but uh, I diverge here and there. So for one thing, I'm not so sure about the calm mm -hmm. uh, in society. Uh, I think there is this uh, danger that there is another spin-off of this, which um, reaches into the into the into large parts of our society. Secondly, um, what I find what do you really mean by a spin-off? You mean that that, that what a, a, a xenophobic spin-off or a... exactly yes exactly. And uh, secondly, um, I, I think we cannot really speak about terror in the in the sense that we use it recently with um, alluding to Al Qaeda and mostly, of course, to IS because. It's, it's not primarily that kind of terrorism. It's uh, all four attacks were inspired by terrorism, but they were not terrorism as such. You know, uh, in Wasn't all four the cases... the Ansbach uh, attack terrorism, though? I even, mean, Ansbach, where, where a Syrian refugee detonated a, a suicide bomb, wouldn't you count that as... Exactly. Uh, yes, I would, definitely. I mean, all four cases, including Ansbach, are cases of uh, people with mental problems. Now, people with mental problems uh, who look for whatever kind of psychologists need to explain what kind of violent solutions they look for their personal problems for, um, but they look for inspiration. So one of them obviously looked to um, previous Amok running, like Winenden and Norway, and uh, the latest one in Ansbach looked to IS. But the fact that IS now claims he's a soldier of IS doesn't really make him one. Uh, I mean, you can, they, they did not yet uh, claim Reutlingen uh, and Munich uh, and Würzburg, but eventually maybe they will even do that. But that doesn't really 
amount to the same kind of terrorism as you had it in Belgium and in Paris, and in Nice, of course, where you had true IS terrorism. Yeah. So the thing is, the guy in Hansbach didn't even apparently manage to buy a ticket to get into the concert, exactly. which seemed like yeah, yeah. maybe a bit of a logistical failing on the on the planning side. Mm. Mm. You put it very politely, yes. They should have told him, buy a ticket, go <laughs> and buy a ticket. And they didn't. But he had, yeah. well, whatever. So I think on these two points, uh, I diverge a bit from what uh, Josef uh, is saying, even though basically he's completely right. This is... Um, this has not shaken society right away the way Paris did in the case of France, understandably, of course. Uh, and uh, police seem to be fairly uh, uh, competent. But what you see is now a, an effect on society. You saw in Munich direct panic. You saw the question, can we cope or not? In Munich, people uh, coped very well. But you also see uh, these free riders. You know, in social media, you saw people spreading, trying to spread panic by inventing the news about other attacks that had not really happened. And you saw, of course, the right wingers. Because one of the questions which I have is whether there's a cumulative effect to these things. Because initially, at the beginning of the refugee crisis, there was a sense of, of, you know, there were obviously racist attacks, arson attacks on refugee centers. And there was this famous um hell und dunkel uh, dunkel deutschland um uh, cover story the light and dark De uh, germany but by and large the majority of people felt that this was a uh, a moment where germany was was uh, coming into its own as a moral leader and they were very proud of what happened and then cologne struck and that kind of had a big impact on uh the public debate and also showed that there was a dark side to this welcome culture and it keyed into a sense of, of, of a kind of clash of civilizations and that some of these people coming in had different ideas about uh, about gender and the role of women and uh, it, it kind of created a degree of fear around refugees. And now this is being overlaid with another dimension, which is not about um, uh, the sort of sexual politics, but is literally about terrorism and violence. Um, and these attacks are pretty minor. They're, they're in no way similar to what happened in Brussels or, or in Nice or in Paris. But they come after those things and they awaken the fears because maybe people in Germany thought that might, that these were the sorts of things that might happen to Paris or to 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 um, to Brussels, but that Germany was in a different place. But this certainly shows that Germany's not immune from from its own attacks. I don't think that Germans thought they were immune, and I think it may even be because of the attacks in Nice and 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 Paris and Brussels that now Germans are reacting somewhat calmly because in a way they realized this could be so much worse. So it's quite interesting. I mean, these were minor attacks and this is really important. Um, but I, I, I think at this point, I, I just come back from, from um, Berlin yesterday and I was in Berlin while these things were happening and I felt that the reaction of most people I talked to was, yeah, well, we kind of knew that this was a possibility. These things can always happen and they have happened elsewhere in Europe. But at least 
they are not that bad. And I mean, of course, it's kind of a horrible thing to say, um, especially to the victims, but I, but, but I don't think that there was this feeling of, of being safe. Hence, now seeing that these attacks happened, but they can also be stopped by police, or at least, you know, they can... They can simply be not. They can simply be less worse. Less worse just because you know the guy doesn't buy a ticket to actually enter a concert. That's that's. I don't want to say reassuring, but you know it kind of shows that it doesn't always have to be like eighty eighty death, as in in Nice. Uh, I think we should uh, separate the terrorism problem and Germans' attitude to terrorism to what is happening uh, about the refugees, the way marches did. You see. Um, uh, just a week ago or so, I think, it was uh, more than uh, 70, I think 77% of Germans were convinced something like Paris could happen in Germany. And uh, close to 60% thought police will be able to cope with it. That's a pretty high degree of confidence on terrorism. Now, that, I think, has not been shaken by these four incidents. But what has been shaken is the attitude about refugees. You had uh, two Syrians there, refugees. You had one who's always called a German-Iranian, but who knows that Iranian is not IS, it's all the same, sort of. So uh, suddenly you find that uh, among those refugees, there are more people who seem like the ones in Cologne. You have uh, a nest of violence in these refugee camps in large parts of public perception. And that's what the free riders I spoke of um, ride on. That's kind of perception which says that anything can happen and we need to, to uh, get rid of these people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. vote for AFD. So, Parker, this, that's, is that's the linked, this is not directly linked to the terrorism question. It's linked to the attitude on uh, attitude we take towards refugees. Now suddenly they seem like uh, uh, um, a danger, imminent danger. They run amok. They go. They take axes and and uh, go against uh, German or Polish women. So do you you do you disagree with that, Josef? Well, no, I, I don't disagree with, with Volker uh, portraying a perception, but I think we need to be mindful that it is a perception, um, that, 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 yes. that actually this is, this is what uh, uh, some people would like to, to make it appear, uh, but it is not. You know, the, the, the reference case, this, uh, uh, this Vinoden Amok run um, that happened a, a number of years ago uh, had nothing to do with the refugees or immigration. Um, so, but it, it appears now to some people like that. And of course there is, uh, on the fringes of the political system, there is uh, quite some interest to exploit the situation. Uh, and I think that's where, um, where we see um, uh, a, a, a new quality. Now I've watched the uh, Friday night on uh, German main television because I'm on vacation. Um, and uh, I thought that the fact that they stayed on the air with this special reporting almost all evening was was overblown. But when I later read uh, about the many um, um, stories, conspiracy theories, and and uh, deliberate um, misinformation that was circulating um, uh, in social media, 
I thought, after all, uh, it, it was probably um, okay that uh, public television, at least, stayed on. And even though they couldn't say much, they, at least they tried not to try to exaggerate the case uh, far beyond uh, the, the, uh, the real information base. You know, so I, I think where the danger lies is that this is another boost uh, to the echo chamber phenomenon um, that social media is developing into, uh, and that that kind of there's a parallel universe establishing itself that is um, using um, uh, a weekend like this uh, to to establish what its long-standing claim is that there is. Uh, there's a, a government that is betraying the people. There's a media that is uh, misinforming the people to uh, to help the government betray the people. Uh, and it is all a big, possibly foreign-controlled uh, conspiracy. And, and I think this needs to, to remain in focus. Uh, my own personal view is that um, uh, as hard as they are trying to reach out into the wider spectrum of the German society... I think the success is rather limited. You know, I may be wrong on that, but I, it seems to me uh, that also AFD has great difficulties to uh, um, to really exploit the case. Uh, I've, I've read of uh, the Die Linke uh, today, Sarah Wagenknecht, trying now to, to blame it on Merkel's refugee policy. Um, I think that's that's rather lame moves to uh, uh, to gain some momentum out of a situation that, in my view, pretty much um, um, reinforces uh, the, the capacity of politics, both on the federal and the state level in Germany, to respond to the situation. So we're going to see quite an early test. So the AFD, which you've been talking about, is the Alternative for Deutschland, the Eurosceptic party there but they're going to be elections quite soon aren't there on the 4th of september i think in mecklenburg mecklenburg vorpommern uh there there is going to be an election where the afd apparently are polling at over 20 percent at the moment which is pretty high um and then there are elections in germany a couple of sorry in germany in it's all in germany um in berlin a couple of weeks after that um Presumably that's a bit less of a test, but because that's, uh, uh, but um, uh, that will also be seen uh, by other parties uh, as a, a, te- a, a, a kind of barometer for where German public opinion is heading. Quite agree with uh, Josef, and that is the question of perception. Um, I'm a little bit more afraid than he is of the impact it has on the larger public. I think the um, spin-off effect on public opinion. Uh, uh, will be great in the negative sense. But I agree also with him on uh, the role of um, the media, not the social media, but the traditional ones. I found the reporting uh, we saw on TV quite sober and uh, quite serious. And that, of course, helps helps to counter these um, uh, kind of um, perception use uh, the social media spread. Not necessarily, though. What I found really interesting is that those um, those Germans who are critical of the refugees or of Merkel's refugee policy and that speak other languages or at least are able to kind of um, consume media in other languages, 
they really felt this, that this calm reporting from German media as opposed to the more sensationalist from other countries really showed that there is an establishment conspiracy going on in Germany. So especially on Twitter, I saw a lot of people posting, let's say, CNN reports um, about, you know, this being an Islamist attack. And they posted something like, why is the German media not reporting on it? Well, the reason why they didn't report on it, because in this particular instance, it simply wasn't true. Um, but I think in, in a way, this... That, how the German media is kind of um, um, reporting on this and how, how this really is the large majority of the German media that is reporting about this in a calm way. Even the Bild Zeitung had a thing on, you know, the rule of law still being um, good and great, um, may actually fuel these conspiracy theories. Even though, you know, I don't say we should therefore change it, but there is an element of that in there. Yeah. Yeah, well, because that's yeah. certainly the, certainly the case. You know, this CNN um, uh, thing, I think, got a lot of attention because CNN had no hesitation to use information, uh, which was basically hearsay, and they had no other source to confirm it. Which I think uh, is not what uh, good journalism, um, uh, and also good journalism in the in the uh, Anglo-American world, uh, is. Now, what I find interesting. Uh, speaking of the media there is I, I for example I, I read a big piece in the Guardian today uh, about the the atmosphere in Munich and I read a big piece in the Frankfurter Allgemeine today about the atmosphere in Munich and how different uh, they are you know the 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 Guardian piece um, has is is has a kind of gloomy undertone to it because it portrays uh, Munich as as a city that that enjoyed life and and was kind of innocent in in this enjoyment, and now uh, all of a sudden it is all um, destroyed. You know, is um, there was not a single mentioning that that in 1972 when the Munich Olympics happened, there was a major terror incident you know, um, happening as part of the Olympics, uh, which was a shock to many people. Now I think the. The, uh, it is a bit too simple to say, you know, up to now, uh, it has all been fine. And now uh, people all of a sudden have lost uh, confidence, have lost uh, cohesion. You know? Whereas when I, when I turn to some of the uh, uh, reporting in Frankfurt Allgemeine or Süddeutsche today, running big pieces on this, they also emphasize how people have helped each other. Uh, in this situation, how yeah. they have opened yeah. doors uh, to each other, because the, the infrastructure was basically closed down. There was no, no subway, no buses, no tram anymore on that night. So a lot of people couldn't get home. Yeah, I think uh, that's quite interesting uh, that the, the, the view from outside seems to, to expect something um, um, seriously changing now, whereas I get the sense that uh, it, it rather reconfirms um, uh, the, the view of a society that is, even though that these incidents are happening, is pretty much at peace with itself uh, and has a pretty efficient organization to rely on. I yeah. think your view may be slightly too positive, though. I mean, I have to say, I, I was positively surprised by how Munich handled the attack, by how the police handled the attack. But I think Mark's point about upcoming elections are important. And I think it would be very surprising if the ISD didn't win votes because of this. Because even though 
many of those attacks weren't terrorist attacks. I think there has been the perception, and I, I'm not sure whether this is totally wrong, that yes, there are crazy people all over the world, and there are also crazy people within Germany, but we may have now imported a few of them from elsewhere. And I think a lot of, prob a lot of people have problems with that. While I see uh, indeed that AFD will benefit enormously, while I see the spin-off into the public sphere of, these, of the perception of what these attacks are about, At the same time, I agree with Josef that mainstream society so far manages to, to cope with the situation admirably and to me surprisingly well. I have groups of friends and relatives in Munich, and uh, from all of them I heard the same stories that we read in FAZ and Süddeutsche Zeitung, how open to those people who, had to, who were stuck in Munich Uh, was hotels opening, making rooms available, people in the streets helping each other. It, that, that was something, I think, pretty unexpected. And to me, that reinforces my personal perception that, as I said, mainstream society still manages to cope well. So But it is under enormous stress because at the same time, you have this perception about what refugees actually are spreading and this Uh, is reinforced, this perception is reinforced by those who hope to benefit at the polls. So we talked a bit about the perceptions, a bit about the political consequences. What about the policy response? I mean, is this going to change Angela Merkel's uh, policies? What kinds of things are people calling for? Could this feed into the wider European debate about refugees? Well, Merkel is on what? the spot. Now, Merkel uh, is now uh, under under even more pressure than before um, to uh, not allow um, a a loss of control on the refugee situation, which which is a somewhat um, uh, ambiguous statement in itself, because the refugee situation is not under control. It just doesn't appear to be that much of a problem as it as it appeared in in the fall of last year and until the spring of this year. So she's highly dependent uh, on uh, the, the, the continued compliance of Turkey uh, with the deal. And she has to do whatever she can uh, in a situation where, where Turkey's own future is rather unpredictable uh, to, uh, to, to not uh, encourage the Turks to walk away from the deal because she uh, highly depends on the fact uh, that they uh, um, uh, adhere to the terms and um, do what they can to keep the people there and to try to, to attract money from the EU through projects that uh, should then benefit um, uh, the refugee situation in Turkey. So that, I think, is her most critical uh, point. And, and, and the, the, the perceptions that Volker has, has uh, portrayed so well mean for her, in order to control the spread of that into the mainstream of society, uh, she has to keep the overall situation under control. So as long as, as the, the refugee situation as such is not making the headlines of media, uh, she has a much better chance of... Um, Of, of, of keeping on top of the uh, of the of the situation, even if and when there will be more lone wolf uh, incidences happening uh, in coming weeks or months. And are there any specific 
uh, Bavarian elements to the the policy recommendations? I mean, did the because the CSU, the Bavarian Christian Democrat. Christian Social Union, which is the sister party to, to Merkel's party, led by the uh, somewhat more hawkish Horst uh, Seehofer, who's been leading a lot of the the uh, demands for a toughening of the stance, is is based in Bavaria. Did they uh, did did they use it to to make policy demands? The CSU. Oh yes, the uh, usual suspects, uh, Minister of the Interior in Bavaria and others have already spoken out and asked for a greater support for police financially and the possibility of, have the, uh, of having the German army um, intervene in situations where the police can't cope with a, a crisis situation. Uh, but there's also uh, a criticism of these uh, sorts of statements because basically the feeling is the police in Bavaria did cope quite well, especially uh, in the case of uh, the Munich attack. Um, so I don't think that will be such a strong um, element in German politics. It will be much more the refugee discussion in the way um, Joseph has, uh, just described it. That will be um, discussed. How do we control the refugees? How do we uh, get uh, a hand on those who should be uh, uh, sent out of the country again um, and are still staying in there and then uh, commit crimes? This, I think, will be a discussion. And as you have said, Merkel is on the spot here. And we'll see that in the election campaigns in September in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern and in Berlin. Okay. Well, that was an interesting and sobering uh, discussion. But it does seem that people in Germany are more optimistic than maybe those on the outside. Uh, We have one more thing to do on this podcast, which is to talk about Uh, what we're reading which is particularly important as people uh, start preparing for their summer holidays I I don't know um, if the three of you want to share what's on your bookshelves at the moment maybe go to you first Ulrike well so I already outed myself as a science fiction reader in the last uh, podcast I did and I'm going to continue in this way Um, first of all because it's fun to read that kind of stuff during the summer but also because I always feel that science fiction tells us something about the world we live in and the world we may be moving towards so I'd like to recommend a book that's called Ready Player One by Ernest Klein and as far as I know I think this is something that's being read quite widely um, in Silicon Valley by the Facebook and Google people Um, and the reason for that is because it talks about a world in the future where the real world isn't really where, well, the music plays, so to speak, but um, we all live in a kind of virtual reality. Um, and um, it, has a, it has a bunch of very interesting observations about society and about what virtual reality can do to, to us. And um, yeah, I just, I just very much recommend it for anyone who's interested in kind of technology, but also in a kind of um, dystopian slash utopian worldview. What about you, Josef? What's on your bookshelf? Uh, you're, in fact, you're already on holiday in the North Sea. I, I'm already on holiday, and most of the day I'm on grandfather duty, so I don't mm-hmm. get much reading done, so I, I tell more stories to my granddaughter. But on the side, uh, I have taken along um, the digital version of um, novels from Theodor Storm, who was a 19th century um, um, author of, of, from Schleswig-Holstein, so from the, from the sea coast because I thought it fit, and I, I, I believe I have read them all at one point, uh, but that was probably 40 years or more uh, back. So I thought uh, to stay on the coast is a, is a, is a good opportunity to reread some of that. Uh, the most uh, famous of them is Der Schimmelreiter, um, probably 
uh, many, I think there's hardly German students of my generation who have not read that piece in school. Okay, what about you, Volker? Uh, for me, summer is the time to read novels. So I've got here uh, just a book just come out by Rudolf Lawrence, Ohne Liebe geht es auch. It's uh, possible without love. And it's a story of uh, four generations, four German generations, uh, going through uh, the problems occurring between uh, Prussia and um, uh, Austria, the Austrian Empire. And then I've got here a Chinese novel, which is from the 1930s, Jen Zhongshu, Fortress Besieged, that's uh, published by Penguin, actually. It's about the love story between two Chinese students in England in exactly those days. Um, and I just finished a book, which I really want to recommend, that's by Padura, a cube mortar, which is The Heretics, and that I found a tremendous novel. So it's already off my shelf, but um, I, I really want to recommend that book about um, freedom in Cuba, possibilities of spiritual freedom, material freedom, and uh, this is also spanning a long, long time, 400 uh, years in that case. The heretics, don't forget it. Okay. Well, I've been uh, been going back uh, to... I went to uh, uh, the Bastille Day celebrations at the French Embassy the other day in London, and it was the day that Boris Johnson had been... Um, uh, uh, appointed foreign secretary and he came along and made his first speech and he compared um, himself and the other Brexit people with the with the sans-culottes um, who organised the French Revolution and said that, that he saw themselves as taking on a stifling ancien regime with only uh, a distant connection to democracy and that that, um, that, um, uh, that was the, uh, the the meaning of the of the British referendum uh, over here which made me go back to my bookshelf and, and reread the 18th Brumaire uh, of Louis Napoleon Bonaparte by Karl Marx because um, it kind of... I, I was thinking that history, as, as Marx says, repeats itself first as, as, as uh, tragedy, then as farce, and then it comes back in the form of Boris Johnson, <laughs> who is uh, <laughs> presenting himself as a, as a counter-revolutionary, well, as a revolutionary, but I think more of a counter-revolutionary at that embassy. And uh, it is spectacular. It's a long time since I'd read it as a student, but it is um, Marx's uh, humour and his prose is, uh, is is wonderful, actually. So it was a little treat. Um, anyway, uh, highly recommended for the summer holidays. Particularly useful, actually, in this counter-revolutionary moment where all of the ideals which have inspired the European Union and which uh, uh, are embodied in its institutions seem to be under attack in, in, in many different places. If you uh, so, we'll put links to all of these publications on our website, which is www.ecfr.eu/podcasts. If you've enjoyed listening to us, please uh, do give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, leave a review there. Do the same on SoundCloud or MixCloud or whatever other platform you're using to listen to this podcast. Tweet about it. Leave a comment on our Facebook page or write something on your own. 
uh, with a link to the, the podcast. And if you have any feedback for us or want to suggest topics or people to appear on the podcast, do write to me at mark.leonard at ecfr.eu. Um, but from Ulrike Franke, Josef Janning, Falker Stanzel, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of our podcast is Ulrike Franke, and our editor is Katharina Botel-Atinaro. <laughs>